0: Chapter nineteen of The Tiger of Mysore by G. A. Henty This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. The Tiger of Mysore by G. A. Henty. Chapter nineteen Found at Last. The next morning early, Dick and Surajah set to work to perfect their disguises. They had before appeared simply as two young traders, well-to-do and of a class above the ordinary peddling merchant. They now fitted on the ample beards that had been made at Tripatli. These were attached so firmly to their faces by an adhesive wax that they could not be pulled off without the use of a good deal of force. With the same stuff small patches of hair were fastened on, as to hide the edge of the foundation of the beard. Tufts of short gray hair were attached to their eyebrows. A few grey lines were carefully drawn at the corner of the eyes and across the foreheads, and when this was done they felt assured that no one was likely to suspect the disguise. Ibrahim, who had assisted in the operation, declared that he should take them for men of sixty-five, and as before beginning it both of them had darkened their faces several shades, they felt confident that no one at the fort was likely to recognize them. When Surajah had put on the padded undergarment, and converted himself into a portly-looking old man, and Dick put on the great horned spectacles, they indulged in a burst of laughter at their changed appearance, while Ibrahim fairly shouted with amusement. He was to stay behind in the woods when they went on, for it would but have added to the risk had he accompanied them, as unless also completely disguised, he would have been recognized by the soldiers with whom he had talked during his twenty-four hours' stay inside the tower walls. He was in the evening to proceed along the road to encamp in the last grove he came to, at a distance of a quarter of a mile from the gates, and to remain there until they returned. Under his garments Dick had wound a thin, but very strong, silken cord that he had purchased at Bangalore. It was four hundred feet in length and considerably increased his apparent bulk, although he was still far from emulating the stoutness of Surajah. The halters of the pack-horses were attached, to the cruppers of the riding-ponies, and, after a final instruction to Ibrahim, that if at the end of four days they had not returned he was to endeavour to find out what had happened to them, and was then to carry the news to Tripotli, they started for the fort. When they approached the gate they were, as before, hailed by the sentry. "'We are merchants,' Surajah said, and we have with us a rich assortment of goods of all descriptions silks and trinkets for the ladies of the governor's harem, and handkerchiefs, scarves, silk ornaments, silver ornaments, and things of all kinds suitable for the wives of those of lower rank. We pray for permission to enter and exhibit our wares, which have been collected by us in the cities where they were manufactured, and which we can therefore sell at prices hitherto unheard of. "'I will send word up to the governor,' the officer said. "'It is a long time since we have been visited by traders.' and maybe he will grant you permission. You had best go back to the shade of those trees. It will be a good hour before the answer comes. "'I think it likely they'll let us in,' Dick said, as they moved away toward the trees. "'It's but a short time since things were sufficiently settled for traders to venture up here, and as Savandrug lies altogether off the roads between large towns, it's possible that none with such goods as we have have come this way.' since the garrison took over Savandrug from the British detachment that occupied it. In a little over an hour there was a shout from the walls, and on approaching the gate again they were told that the governor had given permission for them to enter. "'You are to be blindfolded,' the officer said as the gate closed behind them. "'No one may ascend the rock unless he consents to this. Your horses will be led, and beware that you do not attempt to remove the bandages until you have permission to do so.' It took nearly an hour to mount the steep road, and when they came to a standstill, and the sub-officer who had accompanied them told them that they could now remove their bandages, they found themselves in front of a small building close to the commander's quarters. The packs were, by the order of the officer, taken off the horses by the soldiers who had led them up, and carried into the house. The horses were fastened in the shade, two rings in the wall, and on Surajah pointing out the packs containing goods he wished to show to the ladies. Two of the soldiers carried them across to the Governor's house. "'The old officer himself came to the door. "'Enter, my friends,' he said, "'you are the first traders who have come up here since we took over the fort some six months ago, "'and methinks you will do a brisk business if your wares are, as you sent up to say, good and cheap.' "'The bales were taken into a room, the soldiers retired, "'and in a minute the commander's wife, accompanied by three or four other ladies, entered.' Dick and Surajah, after salaaming profoundly to the veiled figures, at once began to unpack their bales. The assortment had been very judiciously made, and to women who had, for more than six months, been deprived of the pleasure of shopping, the display was irresistible. In their desire to examine the goods, the ladies speedily lifted their veils, and seating themselves on cushions they had brought in with them, chattered unrestrainedly examining the quality of the silks which Surajah and Dick, squatting behind their wares, handed for their inspection, comparing the colours, asking each other's advice, and endeavouring to beat down the terms Surajah named. In the first place, he asked the price marked on small labels attached to each article, but suffered himself after the proper amount of reluctance and protests that he should be a ruined man, to abate his terms considerably, although the ladies were evidently well satisfied that the goods were indeed bargains. It was a long time before the ladies could make up their minds which to choose among the many silks exhibited for their selections. When this had been settled, the pack containing delicate muslins was opened, and the same scene gone through then. It was altogether four hours before the purchases were all made, and even then the boxes of trinkets remained unopened, the governor's wife saying, "'No, we will not look at them. "'We have ruined ourselves already. "'Tomorrow, when our husbands know how much we have spent, "'you can show the trinkets to them "'and try your best to get them to buy. "'These things we have been getting are our own affair. "'It is for them to make us presents of ornaments, "'if they are disposed to. "'This evening you must come in again. "'The ladies from the other fort will be here then.' "'The purchases made were paid for, "'the bales again fastened up and carried across to their room. "'The governor met them as they went out.' "'I suppose you have been ruining us all,' he said good-humouredly. "'Well, it is a dull life up here, and the ladies have but few chances of spending money.' "'We are to see the ladies from the other fort this evening, my lord. "'Have we your permission in the meantime to go and sell in the soldiers' quarters? "'We have goods suited to the needs of their wives also, as well as those for the ladies.' "'Certainly you can go about as you please up here. "'It is only as to the approaches that we have to be careful.' But wait in your room for a short time. I will have food sent over to you. In a few minutes a servant brought across a large dish of pilau and several cakes of sweetmeats, the latter being, he informed them, the special gift of the governor's wife. There was no occasion for them to start as they had intended after their meal, for the news of their coming had spread, and by the time they had finished, a number of women were waiting outside. Until sunset they were busily engaged in selling their goods, For the most part bright cotton cloths, red silk handkerchiefs, and cheap silver trinkets. Soldiers sauntered in and out. For these they had provided a store of pipes, tobacco, tobacco boxes, knives, and muslins for turbans, and as the news spread that these were to be obtained, the number of soldiers increased, until the room was quite crowded with them, as well as by many natives engaged in the work of rebuilding the fortifications. Surajah did the selling, while Dick's part of the work was receiving the money and giving change, As he was stooping over a tray in front of him, piled with copper, picking up the change for silver coin, he heard a man ask Surajah for a pound of his best tobacco and a pipe. There was something in the accent that caused him to look up sharply. As he did so, he started. The blood rushed to his head so violently that a mist seemed to pass across his eyes, and his hand shook so that he dropped the coins he was counting. Forgetful of the dark stain on his face, he bent forward over the tray again to conceal his emotion, forced himself to pick out the right change, and then, handing it to its owner, again looked up. The man who was standing before Surajah was broader and taller than those around him. The sun had darkened his face until its shade approached those of his companions, and yet there was no mistaking the fact that he was a European. A heavy moustache and beard streaked with grey concealed the lower part of his face. Dick dared not gaze on the man too earnestly, and could see no likeness to the picture on the wall at Shadwell, but, allowing for the effects of hardship and suffering, he judged him to be about the age of his father. The man was evidently on good terms with the soldiers, one or two of whom were chaffing him on his purchase. "'Will nothing but the best tobacco satisfy you?' one laughed. "'Nothing. And even that won't really satisfy me. This stuff's good enough when rolled up for cigars, and does well enough in hookahs.' But I'd give all this pound for a couple of pipes of pigtail, which is tobacco we smoked at sea." Again Dick's heart beat rapidly. This man must have been a sailor. He could not restrain himself from speaking. "'Have you been a sailor, then?' he asked. "'Aye, I was a sailor, though it was many years ago now since I saw the sea.' "'We got some English tobacco at Madras,' Dick said, not hesitating for once at telling an untruth. "'We sold most of it to the Ferengi soldiers on our way up, but I think I have got a little of it still left somewhere in the pack. I am too busy to look for it now, and we shall soon be going to show our goods to the officers' wives, but if you can come here at nine o'clock, I may have looked it out for you.' "'I can't come at nine, the man said, for at half-past eight I am shut up for the night. "'Come at eight, then,' Dick said. "'If I am not back, come the first thing in the morning, before we get busy.' "'I will come, sure enough,' the man said. I'd walk a hundred miles if it would let me for a half a pound of pigtail. Get rid of them, Surajah, Dick whispered as the man shouldered his way through the crowd. Make some excuse to send them off. Now, my friends," Surajah said, you see it is getting dusk. It will soon be too dark to see what you are buying, and we have been selling for eight hours and need rest. At eight o'clock tomorrow we will open our packs again, and everyone shall be served. But I pray you excuse us going on any longer now. As you see, we are not as young as we once were, and we are both sorely weary. As time was no object, and the work of purchasing would relieve the tedium of the following day, the crowd good humouredly dispersed. Surajah rose and closed the door after the last of them, and then turned to Dick. He had himself been too busily engaged in satisfying the demands of the customers to look up, and had not noticed that one of them was a white man. "'What is it?' he asked as he looked around. "'Has the heat upset you?' Then, as his eye fell on Dick, his voice changed, and he hurried toward him, exclaiming anxiously, "'What is it, Dick? What, what has happened?' For Dick was leaning against a bale by the side of him, and had hidden his face in his arms. Surajah saw that his whole frame was shaking with emotion. "'My dear Lord!' Surajah said, as he knelt beside him and laid his arm across his shoulder. "'You frighten me. Has what gone wrong? Are you ill?' Dick slightly shook his head, and, lifting one of his hands, made a sign to Surajah that he could not at present speak. A minute or two later he raised his head. "'Did you not see him, Surajah?' "'See who, Dick?' "'The white man you last served.' "'I did not notice any white man.' "'It was the one you gave a pound of the best tobacco to. Did you not hear me speak to him afterwards?' "'No. I was so busy and so fearfully hot with this padded thing. It was as much as I could do to attend to what they said to me.' A white man, did you say? Oh, oh, Dick! As the idea struck him, he rose to his feet in his excitement. Do do you think, do you, do you really think he can be your father? I do think so, Surajah. Of course, I did not recognize his face. Nine years must have changed him greatly, and he has a long beard. But he is about the right age, and I should say about the same figure, and he has certainly been a sailor, for he said to one of the soldiers that he would give that pound of tobacco for a couple of pipes of pigtail which is the tobacco sailor's smoke. I told him that perhaps I might be able to find him some in my packs, and ask him to come here at eight o'clock this evening. If I was not in, then he was to come the first thing tomorrow morning. But, of course, I shall be in at eight. You must make some excuse to the ladies, say that there are some goods you wish to show them in one of the other packs, and ask me to go and look for it. Oh, Dick, only to think that after all our searching we seem to have come on him at last. It is almost too good to be true.' Great as was Surajah's confidence in Dick, he had never quite shared his faith that he would find his father alive, and his non-success while with the army, and since, had completely extinguished any hope he had entertained. His surprise, therefore, equalled his delight at finding that, after all, it seemed probable that their search was likely to be crowned with success. Of course we will manage it. I will put aside the narrow Benares cloth of gold work for trimmings, and you can be as long as you like looking for it. "'They will be too busy examining the other things "'to give it a thought after you have gone out.' "'I can be back at half-past eight, Dick said, "'for the man told me he was locked up at that hour. "'If it had not been for that, "'I should have arranged for him to come a little later, "'but of course I shall have opportunities "'for talking to him tomorrow. "'There is someone at the door.' Surajah opened it, "'and a soldier entered with their evening meal, "'and a request that they go across to the governors "'as soon as they have finished it, "'as the ladies had already assembled there.' They hurried through their food, and then went across. There was quite a large gathering, for not only had the wives of the officers in the other fort come over, but all those who had been there in the morning were again present, several of them prepared to make further purchases. Trade was as actively carried on as it had been before. When he judged it to be nearly eight o'clock, Dick nudged Surajah, who said a minute afterwards, Oh, we have forgotten the Benares cloth of gold. I am sure that will please the ladies for waistbands or for trimmings. It must have gotten into the other bales by mistake. "'I will go and fetch it,' Dick said, and, rising, left the room. A figure was standing at the door when he reached the house. "'I was afraid you'd forgotten me,' the man said. "'It's not quite eight o'clock yet, but as I found that you were both out, I began to be afraid that you might be detained until after I had to go. And you don't know how I long for a pipe of that tobacco. The very thought of it seems to bring old days back again.' by this time they had entered the house and dick shut the door behind him he had left a light burning when they went out dick was so agitated that he felt unable to speak but gazed earnestly in the man's face what is it old chap the latter said surprised at the close scrutiny is anything wrong with you dick took off his spectacles rather to gain time than to see more clearly for a plain glass had been substituted for the lenses i, I wanted to ask you a question is your name holland the man started my name is jack holland he said sure enough though how you come to know it beats me altogether for i am always called jack and except the governor i don't think there's a man here who knows my other name you were captain of the hoogle wrecked on the malabar coast nine years ago dick said this time speaking in english after an exclamation of startled surprise the man stared at him in astonishment too great for words "'Are you English?' he said slowly at first. "'Yes, I was in command of the Hoogly. Who in God's name are you?' Dick took his two hands. "'Father,' he said. "'I am your son, Dick.' The sailor gazed at him with a stupefied air. "'Are you mad, or am I?' he said hoarsely. "'Neither of us, father. I am disguised as an old man, but really I am little more than eighteen. I have been searching for you for more than two years, and thank God I have found you at last.' And bursting into tears, Dick would have thrown his arms around his father's neck, but the latter pushed him off with one hand and held him at arm's distance, while his other hand plucked at his own throat, as if to loosen something that was choking him. "'It it can't be true,' he muttered to himself. "'I'm, I'm dreaming this. I shall wake presently, and you will be gone.' "'It is quite true, Father. Mother is down at Trappadley waiting for me to bring you to her.' With a hoarse cry the sailor reeled and would have fallen had not Dick caught him and allowed him to sink gradually to the ground, where he lay half-supported by one of the bales. Dick ran to one of the saddlebags where he carried a flask of brandy in case of emergencies, poured some into a cup and held it to his father's lips. The sailor gasped. "'It is brandy,' he said suddenly. "'I can't have dreamt that.' Then he broke into a violent sobbing. Dick knelt by his side and took his hand. "'It is assuredly no dream, father,' he said gently. "'I am really your son, Dick. I am here with a trusty friend, and now we have found you. You may be sure that we will in some way manage your escape. There is no time now to tell you all that has happened. That I can do afterwards. All that is important for you to know is that Mother is quite well, she has never given up hope, and has always insisted that you were alive. For she said that she should surely have known if you had died.' so she taught me her language until I could speak like a native, and two years and a half ago she came out here with me. I accompanied the army with my uncle's troop, and searched every hill-fort they took for you. Since they went back, I have been up in Mysore with my friend Surajah, and thank God at last we have found you. Thank God indeed, my boy. I do thank him, not only that you have found me, but that your mother, whom I had never hoped to see again, is alive and well, and also that he has given me so good a son. And now, father, about your escape. In the first place, have you given your parole not to try to get away? Captain Holland was himself now. No, lad, no. At the fort where I was for six years there was no possibility of escape, and as I was a long time before I began to speak the language, even if I had got away I could never have made my way through the country. Then the governor, it was the same we have here, took me with him to Kishnagari. I was the only white captive who went there with him, at Krishnagari there were five or six others, but when Tipu heard that an English army was coming up the ghats, an order came that they were to be killed. But the governor is a kind-hearted old fellow, and as I had become almost a chum of his, he chose to consider that the order did not apply to me, but only to those he had found at Kisnagari, for I fancy my existence had been forgotten altogether. I had great hopes that the British would take the place. I think that is the only time I have hoped, since I was made prisoner but the old man is a good soldier, and beat them off. When peace was made, Kisnegare was, as you know, given up, and the Governor was ordered to evacuate the place, and to come here. He brought me with him, making me dye my face before I started, so that in my native dress it would not be noticed, in any town we passed through, that I was a white. For had this been done, the news might have come to Tipu's ears, and there would have been an end of me. Except that I am locked up at night, I am not treated as a prisoner, but the governor, who has a strong sense of duty, has a certain watch kept over me. He has a real friendship for me, and would do all in his power to save my life short of disobedience to an actual order. But his view is that I have been confided to his care, and that if at any moment the sultan should write to demand me of him, he would be bound to produce me. Well, father, it must be nearly half past eight. I will go with you and see where you are confined. That is the first step. We will both tonight think over the best way to attempt your escape, and in the morning when your guard is removed, if you will come straight here, we'll talk it over. "'I am afraid you'll have to wait for your pigtail till we get to Madras,' Captain Holland laughed. "'I can afford to wait for that now. God bless you, my boy. I have never looked for such happiness as this again. But, as you say, it is time for me to be off. I have never been late yet, and if it were reported to the Governor that I was so tonight. He might think that there is something in the wind. Dick walked with his father across the fort. "'That is the house, in the corner,' the captain said, pointing to one before which a group of soldiers were standing. "'Don't come any further.' Dick stood looking after him and heard a voice say, "'You are late, Jack. I was beginning to wonder what had become of you.' "'I don't think it's past the hour yet,' Captain Holland replied. "'I've been with those traders. They told me this afternoon they might be able to find me some English tobacco in their pack.' but they've been too busy to look for it. I hope they'll light on it tomorrow. If they do, I'll give you half a pipeful. I won't give you more, for it's strong enough to blow your head off after this tasteless stuff you smoke here." Then Dick hurried off to the house, snatching up the stuff he was supposed to be looking for, and joined Surajah at the Governor's. It was another hour before the ladies had completed their purchases. Dick, on entering, had given a little nod to Surajah to let him know that it was really his father whom he discovered and had then tried to keep his attention upon his work as a salesman, and Surajah, as he handed him the goods, had given him a furtive squeeze to his hand in token of his sympathy. "'So it really is your father?' he said, as, carrying their greatly diminished pack, they walked across to their house. "'It is indeed. You imagine his surprise and joy when I told him who I was. Now we have got to talk over the best plan of getting him out.' When the door was shut, and they had seated themselves on two of the bales, Dick first repeated all that his father had told him, and then for a long time they discussed the best plan of attempting an escape. Both agreed at once that it would be next to impossible to get him down the road and out of the gate. In the first place they would have to leave by daylight, and even could a disguise be contrived that would deceive the sentries and guard at the gate, all of whom were well acquainted with Captain Holland's figure and appearance it was certain that as but two had come up the rock, a third would not be allowed to leave, unless he had a special order from the governor. They agreed, therefore, that the escape must be made over the precipice, that this was a matter of great difficulty was evident from the fact that the captain had made no attempt to get away in that manner. Still, there was hope that, with the assistance of the silk rope Dick had brought with him, it might be managed. There was, too, the initial difficulty of getting out from the fort to be faced. "'We can do nothing till we have had a long talk with my father,' said Dick. "'I have no doubt that he has thought all these things over, and has long before this made up his mind as to the point at which a descent would be easiest. "'As at present we know little, except by the casual examination we made last time, "'we can decide on nothing by ourselves.' "'I hope it won't be a long way to let oneself down,' Surajah said, "'for I am quite sure I could not hold on by that thin rope for any distance.' nor could I, Surajah, if I had to trust only to my hands. My father, as a sailor, will be able to put us up to the best way to do it. But, at any rate, he might let you down first, and I think that by twisting the rope two or three times round my body, and then holding it between my knees and feet, I might manage, but I dare say my father will hit on some better plan than that. And now we will lie down. I am so stiff that I can hardly stand from squatting for so many hours behind these things of ours. I thought that I had got pretty well accustomed to it, but I never calculated on having to do it from ten in the morning until ten at night, with only two half-hours off. Dick, however, had little sleep that night. He was too excited over the glorious success he had obtained to be capable of closing an eye, and it was not until day was breaking that he fell into a doze. An hour later he started to his feet at a knock at the door. He was wide awake in a moment, and on running to it his father entered. "'You look older to-day than you did yesterday,' the latter said, as he held his hand and gazed into Dick's face. "'I fancy that neither of us has had any sleep to speak of. As for myself, I have not closed an eye.' "'Nor did I, father, until day began to break. Now, please, let us talk over our plan to escape first, for we may be interrupted at any moment.' "'Right you are, lad. Does your friend here speak English? For I have never got to be a good hand at their lingo. I want to thank him, too, but, as you say, time is precious.' and we must postpone that. He understands it, father, and can talk it pretty fairly. We have been constantly together for nearly two years. Now is, in the first place, is there any place where we can get down from the top here with the aid of a rope? It would be a pretty tough job, anyhow, but at the farthest end of the rock is a place where it goes sharp down as if cut with a knife. That would be the best place to try. I take it to be about two hundred feet deep." "'Beyond, the ground seems to slope regularly away. "'If I could have got a rope, I should have tried it. "'But they are pretty scarce commodities up here. "'In fact, I have never seen a piece twenty feet long since we came. "'What sort of rope have you got?' "'Dick opened the front of his garment and showed the rope round his body. "'Captain Holland gave a low whistle of dismay. "'I should not like to trust a child with that thing, Dick, much less a grown man. "'It's no thicker than a flag-halyard. It's thin, father, but there is no fear as to its strength. I tested every yard of it and found it would bear six hundred weight. Well, that's ample, but how is one to hold on to a cord like that? That's just what we want you to tell us, father. There must be some way of managing it, if one could but hit upon it. Yes, that is so, lad, the sailor said thoughtfully. I'll think it over. Anyhow, I think I could lower you both down, and by knotting it, I might get hold enough to come down after you but even the knots would be precious small. One might get over that Father, by fastening a short stick across, every five or six feet, or every two or three feet, if you like. Good dick! That would prevent one's coming down with a run, certainly, and by keeping it between one's legs one could always get a rest. Yes, that will do, lad, if I can think of nothing better. There are lots of spears stowed away in the room adjoining mine. If we were to cut them up into six-inch lengths with one of a foot long to each ten for sitting on. That would be just the thing. That is capital, father. I had a lot of practice in rope-climbing before I came out, and I am sure that I could manage with the help that would give. I don't think Sutterjah could, but we could let him down first, easily. Now, as to your prison. There are bars to the windows, the captain said, and a sentry is always on duty outside. The only way would be to escape at the rear. I have often thought it over, but it was of no use breaking out there if I couldn't get any farther. The wall is built of loose stone, without mortar. You see, it would have been a big job to bring up either mortar or bricks from down below, so most of the buildings are entirely of stone. The wall is two feet thick, but there would be no great difficulty in getting out the stones and making a hole big enough to crawl through. I could not do it in my room, because they always look round to see that everything is safe before they lock me up and it would take so long to do it noiselessly that half the night would be wasted before I could get out. But the magazine where the spears are kept communicates with my room, and I could slip in there in the daytime when no one was looking, get behind the spears which are piled against the wall, and work hidden by them. No one would be likely to go into my room during the day, and if he did he would not expect to find me there, as I am generally about the place. In that way I could get out enough stones to render it an easy job to finish it after I was locked up. A spearhead is as good a thing to help me prize them out as one could wish for. "'Very well, father. Then we had better settle that you shall get out in that way. Now shall we go round on the outside and help you?' "'No, I I don't say but that your help would make it easier to get the stones out without making a noise. Still, your going round might be noticed.' Well then, father, shall we seize and gag the sentry? We have done such a thing before successfully. No, that wouldn't do, Dick. The guardhouse is hard by, and the slightest noise would destroy us all. Besides, as they have not many sentries posted up here, they relieve guard every hour, so that the thing would be discovered in no time. Now, when I get out, I will creep along noiselessly by the wall. There are houses in the yard almost all along, and though the sentry would not be likely to see me in the shade of the wall, I'll take care to cross the open spaces when his back is turned. I will then come straight here for you, and we will make for the wall behind the Governor's house. There's no sentry on that side, for that steep ravine covers it from attack there. However, there are six or eight feet of level ground between the foot of the wall and the edge of the ravine. The walls are twenty feet in height. With fifty feet of that rope I'll make a ladder, and will get hold of a piece of iron to make a grapnel of. How much time can you give me? "'Oh, I should think we could stay here today and tomorrow without seeming to be dawdling without reason. Do you think you could get ready by tomorrow night, Father?' "'Yes, but that will give me plenty of time. Let me see. There is the short ladder to make. That won't take me over an hour. There are a hundred bits to cut for the long ladder, putting them about two feet apart. That will be a longish job for the spear shafts are a very tough wood. However, I have a saw and some oil, which will prevent it making a noise.' and can make fairly quick work of it. I have several tools, too. I very often do carpentering jobs of all sorts. That is what first made the Governor take to me. I can get all that part of the work done today. Tonight I will do the knotting. Of course, I shall make it a goodish bit over two hundred feet long, for it may turn out that I have not judged the depth right, and that the cliff is higher than I thought it was. I don't think sawing up the spear shafts will take more than an hour or two. "'so I shall be able to show myself about the place as usual. "'I'll go over and take a good look at the rock again "'and stick a spearhead into the ground, "'at the point where it seems to me that it goes down straightest, "'and where there is the least chance of the rope getting rubbed against a sharp edge. "'I shan't begin at the wall until tomorrow, "'for I don't suppose I shall be able to get out the first few stones "'without making a bit of noise, and it would not do to work at night. "'Now, lad, I think we can consider that as all settled.' and I won't come near you again, unless there is some change of plan. I shall be here tomorrow evening. I hope it will be by ten o'clock. That must depend upon how long it takes me to get down the outside layer of stone. If you should hear a sudden row, make at once for the wall behind the governor's house, and wait there for me to join you. You see, some of the stones may come down with a run, and if they do, I shall give the rest a shove and be out like a shot. I shall hear which side the sentry is running round the house, and shall belt the other way. Of course, he will see the stones and give the alarm, but in the darkness I have not much doubt of being able to slip away, and I will then make my way straight to the wall. Of course, I shall have the ladders tied up in bundles, and shall take care not to leave them behind me. All right, father, we will be ready tomorrow evening. We shall wait quietly for you until you come, unless we hear a sudden alarm. If we do, we will go round behind the governor's house and wait there for your coming. That is it, my lad. Now I will be going." I am certainly glad that no one has come in while I've been here. End of chapter 19. Found at last. Recording by Mike Harris.